So we're having a good laugh, which is great. But you can see what Paul is saying. You can see the point for us clear as day. There are divisions in this church community because there are, some of them are content with parallel play. Amen. Thank you, Brenda. Thank you, gang. Uh, please do take a seat unless you're heading out the back uh, for this morning's teens Bible study with uh, Darren. I might have to start wearing my glasses for worship. It was a bit of an eye test in the middle of that last summer. <laughs> Keeping everybody on their toes. Uh, well, I hope you had uh, a good week. If you had some time off uh, for Labor Day and Eid, uh, I managed a couple of days at the start of the week. Uh, and it's so important that we do take periodic times of rest and reflection and just kind of rest uh, from earthly employment. Uh, this passage that Brenda just read for us, uh, we're building from last week. Uh, the big picture is still issues with using and abusing our own individual liberties, but in the, the context of, of here, us, uh, the gathered church. Last week, the problem was casting aside all uh, gender differences and then dressing and behaving like some big, uh, neutral, same, same bunch of people. Uh, and there's a much bigger application uh, of that truth uh, for many of us in the countries that we're from. Uh, but as part of that, we said that nobody wants to be part of some big, homogenous group where everybody looks the same and dresses the same, does the same jobs. Uh, when we all gather and get together like this. And today it's the same core uh, problem, the liberty that we've got as individuals and how it works itself out in community here. Uh, and we're going to be on that for a couple of weeks, the, the, that kind of theme. Specifically in Corinth here, it was around meal times. Now for some of you, this is going to be kind of difficult uh, because now, Friday morning, is the only time we see you or hear from you during the week. Now, if that's you, this is going to be really uncomfortable because this passage assumes that we're getting together during the week, that we don't just see you on a Friday morning, that you are part of the community big here Friday morning, but then you're also doing something other than this. So if that's you, you can take this as a gentle nudge we need to see more of you. You need to get involved beyond sitting on Fridays and then listening and then leaving. You also might think, my liberty, my life, it's just, I do what I want. Me, myself, and I. But as we said last week, before we got into this next section, this big chunk of 1 Corinthians, the foundation for it all is the relational responsibilities that we've got to one another and Jesus who saved us. So, so no, <laughs> your personal liberties and freedoms are not just for you. They're exercised here in community. And as we're going to talk about next week with the gifts and the talents and the skills and the passions that you bring to the community, it's for everybody else's benefit. Uh, today, again, then, the passage that Brenda just read is often read, which is good, uh, but it's often read out of context. Uh, there are three distinct paragraphs that Brenda just read. And if we just read the middle one, we're just getting the meat out of the sandwich. It's not... We can't just pull stuff out uh, here and there. We don't get the big picture. We get a little lesson. Uh, so as we try to do consistently here, week by week, we're going to look at the big picture, see what it says, see what it means, 
And then what do we do with it? Because we don't want to come just for a lecture on a Friday, learn some stuff and leave. We want to learn and we want to go and live it out. So, if you've not gone there already in your Bible, uh, whether it's printed, whether it's digital, uh, would you join me in 1 Corinthians 11? If you're kind of new to navigating the Bible, it's probably, I don't know, 85, 90% through. Uh, if you need to use the index at the front of your Bible, find out what page it's on, uh, and then go for it. So we're in 1 Corinthians, and we're in the middle of the chapter. We're going to pick it up in verse 17. And in verses 17 to 22, there is the problem. There's the reason why Paul is writing to them about this. And if you look with me there at verse 18, there is the problem. When you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. Last week was, <laughs> last week was a bit of a passage, wasn't it? We read it, and you read it, and you read it. And the more times you read it, the more ideas you might have about what it means. And it's, it's one of those that's often discussed and debated. This is really, really simple. When you get together, when we do this, there are little pockets of people. There are divisions among you. So the problem is really simply, everybody's doing their own thing. And in a community, there needs to be some individuality. Like we talked about last week, male and female, different haircuts. Uh, different dresses, like we talked about last week. Uh, yes, but there also needs to be lots and lots of unity for us to be uh, a community. When you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. There are little cliques. There are little groups. There's the in crowd. There's on the edge crowd. There's listen and leave on a Friday crowd. Here in Corinth, there's groups with lots of material richness, the group that struggles to make ends meet. Maybe there's a Roman group and a Greek group and a Jewish group and a former pagan group. In our language, maybe there's the military group or the teachers seem to hang out and sit together. Uh, <laughs> there's the project managers and the engineers, the Brits, the South Africans, the Americans all these little groups of people in church, and you don't talk to anybody outside of your little group. There's the music group. There's the tech group. There's all these little groups. And so if we're honest, this is really, really easy. Not boastful. This is very easy for us to understand, isn't it? Because Corinth, like Bahrain, was transient. It was international. People came there, worked for a bit, and then left again. So it's easy for us to get this. It's easy for us to understand how this big transient, an international group of people come together once a week for a formal gathering, a worship service like this, and then disappear for the rest of the week. It's easy for us to get this, because if we're not careful, this is us. Lot of groups, 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 groups. You don't talk to anybody else who's not in your group, and then we'll see you again next Friday. So Paul continues and says, look, there are divisions Specifically, you're getting together here and out there for food. You can't call that communion. Gathering together to do your own thing in the presence of some other churchy people is not communion. He says uh, in verse 20, Now, when you come together at the same place, you are not really eating the Lord's Supper. So just because you're sharing a meal together, it's not communion. For when it's time to eat, everybody proceeds with his own supper. One's hungry, another one gets drunk. Do you not have houses? so that you can eat and drink? Or are you trying to show contempt for the church of God by shaming those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I will not praise you for this. 
So, very, very simply, hanging out together, having food together, is nothing spiritual. It's not communion. How many people have heard the phrase before or used the phrase before, fellowship meals? How many people have been to a fellowship meal? Yeah. What happens at the fellowship meals? People eat some food. Hopefully somebody prays beforehand. You eat food and you leave. <laughs> I've used that phrase before. I should probably stop using that phrase before. Because if the express purpose of your gathering, if the main topic of conversation isn't Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, the life it then produces in you, you're just hanging out and chatting with people that you know from church. That's not a, f- a fellowship meal. Let's just call it what it is. It's just hanging out with your friends. It's friendship, which is great. We all need that, but it's not fellowship. So Paul is saying, look, just because you get together and eat with church people, it's not communion, as we would call communion. It's not the Lord, taking the Lord's Supper every time Papa John's delivers. It's friendship, which is good, which is great. But look at verses 20 and 21. When you come together at the same place, you are not really eating the Lord's Supper, for when it's time to eat, everyone proceeds with his own supper. So a bring and share meal, what do you call it in the States? A potluck. Your potluck, part, part luck, is that's not, that's not a fellowship meal, sorry. Well, that's quite good then. That's just friends hanging out, sharing food. And that's not the Lord's Supper, he says, because when it's time to eat, everybody does their own thing. Some of you eat in collard greens. Others have got some pizza. Somebody else wants to braai. Somebody else just wants a cup of tea. These are not fellowship meals. These are just friends from church hanging out and having some food. When you come together, it's not really communion, he says, because everybody does their own thing. Everybody proceeds with his own supper. Some people are eating too much. Some people are drinking too much. So coming together to share food, share some life together, which is, which is great. Doing it on your own terms, not so great. And it's dividing the church, he says. So that's the, the specific problem in Corinth. And we can so easily but very dangerously flirt with this because our community is a lot like Corinth. As we said last week about gender equality in Jesus, here Paul is saying, God is saying that there needs to be equality in the community when the community is gathered. Now this is not some like cracking the whip, you've all got to be boring, just eat bread and water, it's wrong with like a love. He says, look, don't you have houses? Don't you live somewhere that you can do your own stuff in your own place, in your own time? Are you trying to show contempt for the church by coming and doing all your personal stuff in the context of the gathered church? He says, look, if you're going to eat this or that, eat a bit more, eat a bit less. You're on some funky diet that, I don't know, whatever. Do that at home. Don't you have homes? Or are you trying to create shame where there could be glory by coming and doing all your own personal stuff? When church is gathered. Well, back to that big point of our personal liberty and how it works itself out in community. Do your own thing in your own place because when we gather, this is our place and this is God's place. So, the problem in Corinth, everybody's doing their own thing in their own way, but kind of adjacent to each other and calling it church. And all that is doing really is highlighting or creating divisions. So there's the problem. Then he gives them the solution. In verses 23 
to the rest of the end of the passage. But first, uh, verses 23 to 26, the problem is everybody's doing their own thing. His solution, look at the Last Supper as a model. This is how, if you're going to break bread together, this is how it should go. Now, rather than treat this as a step-by-step guide for the church formally taking communion, which, don't get me wrong, is a valid use of this passage. We've done this. I've read this passage here on a Friday. Pause, taking the bread, pause, taking the uh, juice and prayed. But we're going to look at this in context. It's paragraph two of three. So if we just pull it out in the middle, we miss the bigger picture. We just get a little lesson. So the problem, everybody's doing their own thing. The solution. Well, first, just look, look back a minute. How does the, the previous paragraph end? Verse 22. What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I will not praise you for this. You're getting some stuff wrong. Then, verse 23 begins, For, so then, but. So you're getting some stuff wrong. You're not getting this right. Uh, But for, instead of doing it like that, look at the Last Supper for a model and a template for your your gatherings, specifically when you're uh, sharing food. So rather than doing your own thing for meals together, whether it's friendship or fellowship, uh, look at the Last Supper as a model people are sharing There is equality and unity in their gathering and in their meal. There's not a hint in this passage that some people had a full loaf of bread and other people just had a crumb. There's remembrance and a reverence when believers gather to break bread together. There is a significance in believers sharing food together. Every time you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So instead of using this just as a step-by-step guide, how does church take communion? It's a model. The problem is everybody's doing their own thing. The solution is look at the unity. Look, at the, look how equal this is when we gather. And then he continues in verse 27. He says, if you don't do this properly, if you cannot share well with others, you're making yourself guilty before God. For this reason, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, how many people have ever heard this put across as if you are not a fully fledged, born again, new creation, you better not touch our bread as it goes in front of you for communion. Don't you dare drink our juice until you've been interviewed by pastor so-and-so or quizzed by elder so-and-so, until you've taken our new believers class. How many people have heard this passage used to say, don't you dare take our communion? Yeah, a few people. Is that what Paul's saying? Does that fit with his writing, the context? No. But just think, what if there's somebody who's sitting in church on the verge of making this life-changing profession of faith? And somebody stands up and says, hey, don't you dare touch our bread until you've been interviewed by so-and-so. So you've taken our six-week New Believer class and passed. What are they going to think? They're going to think, maybe this isn't for me. Maybe I'll try the church down the road. Maybe they're a bit more welcoming. Paul here is saying, look, 
if you're claiming to be living together like this, if you're claiming to be part of a community like this, but doing so, actually doing so, in your own way and on your own terms, what's going on there? There's just a startling lack of real unity. So when you come together for your fellowship meals, and some gorge themselves, some barely eat, somebody drinks too much, then that is how you become guilty before God. Because you're forgetting the relational responsibilities that we've all got to one another, to care for one another, to look after one another, to see that you're saved as an individual into a community. It was the same last week. That's why he's put these paragraphs in this order. The, the, the big point's the same. Your personal liberty and freedoms as a believer, how do they look in corporate worship when we gather like this? I'm going to worship how I want, regardless of what, of what God says. Last week we talked about tambourines and whatnot. It's the same thing here. Me, my rights, my liberties, trumps everything else. If I want to come to church and eat uh, pizza while somebody else doesn't have any money for food, it's fine. Paul is saying, no, if you can't come together and share meals and make sure it's all very, there's unity in you together and it's very equitable. He says, that makes you guilty. The solution then is to look to the Last Supper. And then, in verse 28, he says, examine yourself. Check yourself first. A person should examine himself first. And in this way, let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For the one who eats and drinks without careful regard for the body, us, eats and drinks judgment against himself. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and quite a few are dead. Just look at that. For the body, who, the one who eats and drinks without careful regard, for the body, that's the collective. Paul talks about the church as a body and a wall and a family. Here it's a body, us, the relational responsibilities that we've got to one another. When we come together and worship, when we share meals together, we need to be doing it truly together, not just in the presence of one another, without careful regard for the body, he says. There is a huge difference between doing something with somebody and with them around, isn't there? Thanks, Luke. There is a huge difference between doing something with somebody and in the presence of somebody else, isn't there? there is. And I want to show you what this looks like. Now, I thought we could use pictures because a picture and a thousand words and all that stuff. But what's better than pictures? People. So, it needs two people to help me with this. Two people who are not going to be super serious and rigid. Two people who are quite game for a laugh, a bit of fun. Don't all volunteer at the same time. Just need two people. Yes, Luke! And, oh, Arvin, I thought you were like doing it, but you're just like flicking your hair back, like, oh, no, oh, oh no. Oh, we're doing it, right, good. Oh, look, oh, Bradley, I've got three, so I've only got two. Oh, sorry, Bradley. Good, right, let's, um, Luke, Arvin, Arvin, Luke, good, let's hop up the stairs, if you want, oh, okay, fine, we'll do the big boy step. Ugh. So, um, I thought the best way to illustrate this is to look at the stages of development for a child. 
just like this is just like church. We're going to talk through the stages of a child's development, uh, and we're going to be we're going to see this list come in. So I'm going to walk you through the stages of a child's development. And whilst we're doing this, whilst these guys are physically acting this out, I want you to think about church. I told you. Oh, I told you. If you want to sit down, now's the time. I've got pre pre-planned volunteers if nobody volunteered. No, we're good. Okay, so we're going <laughs> to... So, Luke, I mean, as I read this out, uh, you can act it out as you see fit. It's, it's like improv. It's like, a, just, just go for it as the Lord leads. So, I'll move out of the way. You two can take center. So, babies. The first stage of a child's element is called unoccupied play. Wait. At this stage, a baby is just making... Lots of movements with their arms, hands, legs, and feet. They're learning about how their body moves. Action. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> okay, good. Oh, nice. Oh. <laughs> nice. Nice. Good. Okay. The next stage, when they're about two... Well, between birth and two, they go into a stage called solitary play. This is when a child plays alone, but they're not interested in playing with other people. Good. Uh, hang on. Uh, so the next one, two years, around two years, they go into a stage called onlooker behavior. During this stage, they begin to watch other children, but they don't play with other children. So they're doing their own thing, but they're aware that there are other people around. Oh, like, like it. That was good. Like the... Sup. <laughs> good. Uh, then, when they're a little bit above two, they go into a stage called parallel play, where they play alongside other people. Alongside other people. But they're not playing together. Now, this is exactly what is going on in the church in Corinth. It looks like, to all intents and purposes, to the casual observer, that they're playing together because they're next to each other. They're looking at each other, but they're not, actual, they're not actually playing together. They're playing alongside one another. This is what we have got to avoid at all costs, being a group of people that parallel plays. So for people who arrive and look, and they're like, oh, look, little Adam's playing with little Eve. But actually, they're not. They're just playing alongside one another. But it looks like they're together, but they're not. Then, as children get a little bit older, they go into a phase called associate play. Don't know what it means. Then, cooperative play. Let me read you this. This is when a child plays together with others and has interest in the activity and the other child. Yes! And you, he wasn't even one of the pre-planned volunteers. Yes! If parallel play is what we want to avoid, just being a community that sits in the same room once a week, cooperative play... All right, turn it down. You're four years old. Cooperative play is what we need to aim for. That's our goal, where there is interest in both. 
that's better, that's four-year-old. Interest in what is going on and the other people. So, thank you, thank you very, very much. Let's, uh, thank you. Let's hop down. Amen. I'd let you keep it, but then I'd have a really angry four-year-old at home who let me borrow the balls on the express condition that they come home. But thank you very much. So we're having a good laugh, which is great. But you can see what Paul is saying. You can see the point for us clear as day. There are divisions in this church community because there are, some of them are content with parallel play, not cooperative play. When you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions. When you come together at the same place, you're not really eating the Lord's Supper. When Everybody proceeds with his own supper. Everybody does their own thing when you get together. But you're together, but doing your own thing. You're just parallel playing. That's the problem in this passage. There should be no parallel play in church life. The solution, look at the Last Supper. Look how equal unified, focused it was, then look at yourself. So, what are we going to do with this? Our goal, the target, yes, is cooperative play, but it's to live our lives truly together. Not just in the same room as one another. Not just around the same table as one another. Uh, read with me from verse 33. So then... My brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you assemble, it does not lead to judgment. I'll give directions about other stuff when I come. So, if we read that and we put into it everything we've just said, it would be something like, when you share meals together, when you get together, not if, not if you fancy it that week, not if you're awake enough on Friday morning, to drive yourself around to church, when you come together here and out there, do so with equality and unity. Wait for one another. We're not just parallel playing. We've got an interest in one another. If you're hungry to the point where you're distracted, eat something at home. When you get together, if you're so hungry that you can't concentrate on what's going on, you just cannot wait to leave Eat something at home. It's so simple. It's really straightforward. When you gather, when you should be focused on God and one another, that vertical and the horizontal, when you're not focused on the right things, then we're bringing judgment upon ourselves because there's no reverence, there's no respect, there's no focus for God who saved us and His people, one another. So, what are we going to do with it? First, we're going to live our lives truly together, not just once a week. You will never, actually, <laughs> should <laughs> pause. Aside from Luke and Arvin, you will never regret getting more involved at church. You, maybe you are now. Maybe, maybe next time I need a volunteer. You're like, woof, head goes down. No, not me. But you will never, ever regret getting more and more involved. What you will regret is being the same person in church you were 10 years ago. Doing the same things. Because other people that are here for 10 years are going to see that you're the same person. You'll never regret getting more involved at church. When we arrived here almost 10 years ago, 
we were content with coming. We sat at the back. We listened. We left. And then after a couple of months, maybe, maybe six months, Robin's nodding. Maybe after about six months, you, there needs to be a conscious decision to get involved. All right, that's enough of listen and leave. And not for one, maybe Robin asked, maybe for, not for one second have we regretted getting more involved. So the problem is doing their own thing. Solution is to do more stuff together. But then we need to know why. Because we're just like that as people, aren't we? If somebody's going to tell you, you should get more involved, you should do more stuff. You want to know why. Why is this important for a church? Especially like Corinth, where it's international, it's transient. People come and go week by week, different people. Why is that important for a church like ours? Because the same Jesus died the same death and paid the same price for each and every one of us. And so, when we get together, it's so wrong that there are little cliques and groups. The slightest hint of division, of parallel play, just shouldn't, it just shouldn't be a thing here. Like with gender last week, there is true equality among each and every one of us in terms of our access to salvation, the provision of Jesus to forgive sins, and therefore, our status and our resources, our status before God, resources among one another, there is true equality. And so when we gather, either all together like this or in smaller groups throughout the week, when we gather, not if we fancy it that particular week, when we gather, our gatherings should be a time of equality and of mutual edification. We want to build each other up. You've got homes Paul writes, if you need to eat more, drink this, drink that, you've got homes. He says, do your own thing in your own time, in your own space and place. So that when you come here, when you, individual, walk in to become part of us, the collective, we can do our thing and everybody's focused on the right things. We're focused, as we said at the start of the service, on gathering together and worshipping God. And then we're also focused and interested in one another. So if coming to church or having a meal with other believers is a, is a source of tension in your life, the divisions that Paul's talking about, something needs to change, doesn't it? Paul doesn't want the Corinthians. God doesn't want you to be part of a group that just parallel plays next to one another. I firmly, truly believe God wants us to be a cooperative group where we come and we've got a shared purpose. We're interested in the task at hand, which is worshiping and encouraging one another, but we're also interested in one another. It's hard to encourage and to build each other up if you just don't know who the, the people are around us. We've got to work, I also believe, we've got to work harder to do this, to have this, than maybe the churches that we came from, in the countries that we came from, where everybody lives in the same place for decades, where everybody, of course everybody knows everybody. We've got to work harder, just like the church in Corinth, because of our international and very transient community. But if we want to do it, 
We can do it. God wants us not to be a group that just parallel plays, but a cooperative group. Let me show you that again, the definition, uh, with a couple of words changed. So we said when a child plays together with others and has interest in the activity and the other children, that's cooperative play. For us, when we gather as a church and we worship together with other people, we should have an interest in the worship. We worship God for who He is, for what He's done for us, what He promises to do, all that He is. We have an interest in worshiping God. And if we're going to be a healthy, thriving community and the other people here participating in the worship of the same God that we're doing, and then church is going to be what church should be. There's no magic phrase to get this going. There's no special prayer that I can lead from the front. There's no church program. There's no leadership initiative to get this going. This is just, if you want it, it'll be like this. This is just us doing it. There's nothing special to get this going. Spending time with one another, being genuinely interested in one another beyond sitting in the same room for about 80 minutes once a week. And so, as we leave, I have a challenge for you. Now everybody's looking down. That was weird enough. What's going to go on now? Whether you do it or not is the clearest indicator whether you're happy with parallel play or not. Whether you want to be a group that cooperatively plays together, whether we're interested in just coming to, to worship or whether we're interested in one another. And the challenge is just to meet somebody new. Talk to somebody after the service. We'll put the music back on. Talk to somebody new. Don't stick within your groups, the teachers, the engineers, the South Africans, the Brits, the Americans, the military, the parents. Don't stick within your group. Meet somebody new. And because I'm just radiating kindness and care, I'll make it easy for you. If, you've, if, if you and me have never talked face to face, come say hi to me. Nobody does that anyway on a Friday. See everybody in the groups. I, I don't have a group. No, 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 no. <laughs> Where's the point? Somebody on the, somebody on the violin. Uh, look, meet somebody new. If, we, if you and I have never talked, let's. Meet somebody new. Show everybody else and God that you're not content with parallel play. There should be no divisions among us. Everybody is kind of unrealistic, but everybody should know by name everybody else. And as we grow, it's going to be more difficult. But if we want this, we'll have this. Because our Christian life is not just 80 minutes in the same room as some other Christians once a week. Because we said the same Jesus died, the same death paid, the same price for each and every one of us. So we are all equally valued and loved and, and redeemed by God. So it's so wrong that there are little groups when we gather. Like with gender last week, there is true equality among us all in terms of our salvation, our status before God. So... Pray. We're going to worship. We're going to put the music back on. We're all going to talk to somebody that we don't know. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. And let's pray.